Blog Talk Radio. Good evening and welcome to We Are Not Cattle Radio. It is Wednesday, September the 26th, 9 o'clock in the p.m. on the Eastern Standard Time. I'm your host, Jake Counts. With me riding shotgun today, a new guest is uh, one of my good buddies, Andrew Johnson. You guys have probably heard him call into the show a couple of times. Andrew, thanks for coming on board tonight. Hey, thanks for having me, Jake. It's great to be here, buddy. Well, it's good to have you, man. It's always good to share information and and get involved with like-minded people because we really can de- switch this paradigm that we've all been instilled in with the uh, with the media propaganda, <clears throat> with the banks robbing us. If we just get informed and get a friend and, and just basically have conversations, we don't have to have all the answers. All we have to do is educate people, get people tuned away from the TV set, you know, quit caring about whether Green Bay caught the interception or, <laughs> or Seattle made or Seattle made a touchdown. Who cares? That stuff does not matter. But you know what? It, it is instilled in our culture that that is the new fabric of what America is. America is a bunch of people walking around, strutting around in jerseys, acting tough, bowing up to people, and then cowering if somebody gets in your face. That's pretty much the new American. I've kind of figured that out myself. And, you know, just to get like setting up the show here for tonight, just want to let you guys know what you're in store for. We're going to cover the waterfront. My friend Andrew's a pretty deep um has a pretty deep understanding of Ron Paul. He's read a couple of his books. I got a really long Ron Paul clip here for everybody so they can understand why we support him so much, why you should support somebody like a Gary Johnson, because Mitt Romney's not gonna save you. Barack Obama's not gonna save you. The only thing that they're gonna do is they're gonna keep toting the establishment water, much like Fox and CNN, and and they're just gonna keep us going on this path where where the banks basically rob us blind through inflation and through QE3 and all of that good stuff. And we touched on that a little bit last week, but I'm going to play some quick clips from Paul Craig Roberts, who's a renowned economist, the the father of Reaganomics, also a um also the former editor of the Wall Street Journal. So the guy's no slouch, and basically he spreads it out what's going on here. And I have um I guess a minimalist knowledge of what uh, QE3 is. But at least I have some idea. You Is that know, like RG3? Yeah, it's almost like RG3, except for the fact that if, if RG3 could come into your house <laughs> and, and take all your money and then leave you with a bunch of paper, that's exactly what it would be like. But it, it's it's absolutely amazing. The the way that the way that the people in this country work is uh, is astonishing to me. And just just to give you guys an idea, um I went to the the in the fed rally down in uh, down in Atlanta. I shot some video. I put it up on uh, we are not cattle TV and shared it with a bunch of people. So, you know, I got I got my chance to get a hold of a bullhorn, which was by all means the the most fun I've ever had in my life because it just so happened that there was this thing called Music Midtown that is basically, um, you know, the Foo Fighters were there, uh, T.I., all these big-name artists were there. So you have thousands upon thousands of people just flooding in, and you guys can see it in the video. And then what was so great is that the Fed is on a crosswalk. So when the light would turn red, everybody would have to stop at the crosswalk, and there would, like, pile up about 30 or 40 people. Super trendy people, completely brainwashed, have no idea that their money's being robbed from them have no idea what you know fiscal policy is in general. And so I start telling these people, hey, if you turn around to your left and everybody turns around because they're all sheep, if you if you got a bullhorn <laughs> then if you got a bullhorn then you're obviously in command. So you're the authority. Yeah, exactly, the perceived authority. So I tell the sheep to turn around, they all turn around and look at me. And I say behind you is a private bank that loans your government at money at interest which you pay for. And then I go into what a bailout is. And if you guys want to see the clip, it's like I said, it's up on the YouTube channel. We are not cattle TV. But what we want to talk about is we want to talk about what QE3 really means, what's going to happen, and the reason that you're not seeing the hyperinflation 
And it's much like what I talk about all the time. They they bail out the big banks, and then when they bail out the big banks, the big banks don't loan the money out because if the money gets in circulation, then obviously your money starts getting devalued. So it's kind of a, a shell game that they're playing. Eventually, the shell game is going to get cracked. You know, eventually, eventually, well, eventually the cards are going to fall, and then and then we're going to be either a banana republic or a Weimar republic, one of those two. And then the sheep are going to wonder why gas is six to ten bucks a gallon. So I do want to play this first part of a uh, Paul Craig Roberts clip. He was on um, Alex Jones's show today. So give always give Alex props when he gets this guy on because I, I absolutely love him to death because he makes sense and he's he's cogent and he puts it in terms that the American populace can understand. And then after that, we're going to go to a, a Ron Paul clip, and then I want to um, to go to to Andrew and kind of give him the floor about Ron Paul. And also, I want him to start off with, with what woke him up. And he and I kind of woke up around the same time, and, and, and it's, it's amazing when you start coming out of the, uh, the, the television-induced coma, what happened. And Andrew, I want you to touch on what we talked about before the show with the, with the, um, with the Men in Black reference, because I think that that really does have, have a lot of – it does have a lot of you know, a ground to stand on there. Because um, you know it's amazing to see that people just forget, and and they forget so haphazardly. And it's, you know, I I don't remember forgetting stuff that quickly. But but you go to a person that's I guess mainstream or whatever, and they they'll forget what happened two weeks ago. <laughs> Jellyfish, man. Yeah, Jellyfish. they are absolutely. It's it's amazing. It's like in one ear out the other. But heaven forbid if you start talking football, holy cow, people just perk up and now, they want. Are you- a year from now, they're going to remember the Packers, uh, you know, how they got screwed last night. Oh, yeah, or the other night. Yeah, absolutely. They're going to remember that. They're not going to remember Ben Bernanke going, well, we're going to, um, we're going to start monetizing more debt, so, um, so hold on to your britches. So here's the, uh, here's the Paul Craig Roberts clip, and then we'll pick it up on the backside and then jump into some Ron Paul stuff. First year, uh, the crisis uh, is being used uh, by the banks to uh, impose the cost on private individuals and to establish the principle that they are not responsible for their own losses, but that the losses of private banks can be uh, farmed out to the general population. Same thing that happened here. Um, Also in Europe, the uh, European Central Bank and the European Union are using the crisis uh, to centralize power over the member uh, countries. And so the crisis itself, uh, to the extent that it's real, uh, is being hyped to serve those two purposes as well. Uh, <clears throat> and so since they are uh, focused uh, not on, on solving the crisis, but using it to achieve other agendas, then the economic problems are, are not being addressed. Um, <clears throat> and we covered uh, prior to the break the situation here. There's no basis for a recovery. Uh, all the jobs have been sent offshore, and the only jobs that the United States seems able to create are low-paid domestic service jobs, waiters, bartenders, hospital orders. Now, the situation uh, on the war front, what we uh, saw with the uh, Libyan assassination of the American ambassador, the capture of the CIA records in the uh, safe house, Uh, I think what we're now seeing finally is uh, a response of the uh, Muslims uh, to the domination of uh, their life, culture, and all the bombing and drones and assassinations by the United States and Europe uh, for the last uh, 30, 40 years. They finally uh, finally got mad. (laughs) And so we, we saw these uprisings, these outbreaks, um, in about 20 countries, we saw the French and the Germans at least temporarily closing their embassies. Uh, the American embassy in Beirut is shredding uh, um, uh, its documents uh, in fear that uh, they also would fall in the hands of some of these uh, Islamists. So uh, it looks like uh, if this sort of thing continues and it gets worse, uh, the West simply will be ejected from the Middle East. They won't be able to maintain a presence there. Without embassies, they can't <clears throat> purchase the governments and make the payments to the governments. And so the, the kind of uh, hegemony 
that the neoconservatives expected to establish over the Middle Age would be lost. Um, in the meantime, uh, the United States continues to uh, try to bottle up China with uh, naval, air, and troop bases. Even while the defense chief tells the Chinese that, oh, these bases aren't directed at you. <laughs> Just like to tell the Russians that, oh, these missile bases aren't directed at you. You see, the United States government is so used to lying to the American people and being believed. They think the Russians and the Chinese will believe them, too. And I think that's a perfect point. What would you say, Andrew? I mean, you're, they're so used to getting away with robbery and getting away with grand larceny and and telling us that everything's okay and hey, don't worry. Hey, there's a there's a um, there's a guy that works at a um, there's a guy that works at a um, oh gosh, what was it? A used car dealership, and he's planning to assassinate the Saudi ambassador. <laughs> Yeah. And the American public just goes, oh, my God, did you hear about the assassin? It must be true. It's got to be true because it came from somebody you know, in a suit wearing a, you know, reading the what, teleprompter. It, it's got to be true. What happened to you – know, you, can, you can trust but verify. Nobody verifies any information. It's such a small percentage of us out there that will actually disconnect from the TV, get on the computer, the laptop, your smartphone. At least there's more options out there than sitting in front of a desktop now. Right. But just get on the internet. Just start Googling stuff. You don't have to be a rocket scientist. You don't have to be a political science major. You can do it. It's simple. And all you have to do is cross-reference your documentation and make sure it's not word for word. If it comes from two different sources, that's pretty credible. I mean, that's that's. I mean, that's what they do in journalism. They have to have two sources verify the same thing, and then they get the story and run with it. Not anymore because they get their orders directly from the State Department saying, hey, this is what you're going to say, and this is how you're going to say it. Here's a, here's a prime example, everyone. If you guys want to do a litmus test for yourself, okay, today I went in. There were huge riots in Spain yesterday, by the way, for anybody that's paying attention. Oh, huge really? Riots, yeah. Well, well, you know, they the bankers love them so much they basically they they keep saying austerity. So I'm I'm going to keep robbing you, and I'm going to pay you less, so you guys can't buy any food. But don't worry, it's to bail out the banks. Was so this on the news? No, oh, well, you know, I think they missed it. No, excuse me. MSN picked it up this morning. So here's where here's where the fun begins, Andrew, and you're going to love this. So I go and I and and I go into my friend's um office this morning. A guy I work with, he's he's a pretty awake guy, and I said, "Hey, did you see the uh, did you see the riots in Spain yesterday? It was pretty crazy." He goes, "Oh, let's see what the mainstream media's got to say." So he goes on to MSN. He's like, "Oh, look, here's the here's the riots in in Greece and Spain." So he clicks on it. And it's about – it looks like it looks like daybreak when all the riots took place at night. So it's like daybreak, and there's probably 15 to 20 people milling around, and you know there's trash and stuff spread everywhere, and, and, and nothing's really going on. And the MSN reporter's like, there were riots in, in Greece and Spain against the police, and, and everybody turned out okay. It was nothing really to – you know, nothing really to see here. And then – you go on to YouTube and you look up RT's version, and they've got live footage of it. And there are hundreds of thousands of people, hundreds of thousands. There's like six cop cars surrounded by a horde of people, just pissed because they're they're getting austerity from their government. Their government's like, hey, guess what? You know, you need to bail us out because we made you know we signed on to all this derivative crap. So this is all on you. So. We're going to cut, you know, your benefits. We're going to cut your money that you guys get, and, and that's going to help save the country. And so yes. finally, the people have started to wake up and figured out that this is all a scam in order to rob everybody. And so they get out there and they start protesting, and then the cops start firing rubber bullets at the end, and everybody backs up. But it was just unbelievable. And then you see MSN, and and, and it's like, oh, nothing really to see here. Everybody move along. So if you guys want the litmus test, do that for yourself. Just go and look at the MSN version and then go to YouTube and look up the RT version, and then that's what you get here in America. You get watered down, dumbed down propaganda for the big establishment, <clears throat> shadow government garbage, and then you've got this guy, and then and Andrew, I've got, I've got to launch into this guy right now. This freaking warmonger gets up on stage, all right? And you, Andrew, I want you to hear what he has to say, and then I'm going to quote something out of a book. And then, Andrew, I want you to – I want to give, get your opinion on this and see what they're trying to do with Iran. Right, These neocons want a war so bad they can taste it. But 
it, it's literally like going up to the biggest guy in the bar being somebody that's like my size. I'm 5'6", 135 pounds, soaking wet, and <laughs> smacking him right in the face, saying, you want some of this, don't you? It's just really a bad idea. So here is here is the neocon getting up there and just trying to tote how we're going to go to war and basically says that we should basically have a false flag and and then that'll give us the pretext to go to war with Iran. It's it's absolutely absurd. So here it is. I frankly think that crisis initiation is really tough. And it's very hard for me to see how the United States uh president can get us to war with Iran. Um which leads me to conclude that if, in fact, compromise is not coming, that the traditional way of America gets to war is what would be best for U.S. interests. And that uh, means, some people that might means think that Mr. Roosevelt wanted to get us into people. World War wow. II, as David mentioned. You may recall we had to wait for Pearl Harbor. Oh, we had some to wait people for that. might think Mr. Wilson yeah. wanted to get us into World War I. You may recall he had to wait for the Lusitania episode. Some people might think that Mr. Johnson wanted to send troops to Vietnam. You may recall we had to wait for the Gulf of Tonkin episode. Uh, we didn't go to war with Spain until the USS uh, until the Maine exploded, and may I point out that Mr. Lincoln did not feel he could call out the Federal Army until Fort Sumter was attacked, which is why he ordered the commander at Fort Sumter to do exactly that thing, which the South Carolinians oh, had said thing, would cause an attack. Uh, is that called a false so? Flag? If in fact the Iranians aren't going to compromise, it would be best if somebody else started the war. Uh, one can combine other means of pressure with sanctions. I mentioned that explosion uh, on August 17th. Uh, we could step up the pressure. I mean, look, people, Iranian they submarines periodically go down. Someday one of them might not come up. Who would know why? <laughs> we can do a variety of things if we wish to increase the pressure. I'm not advocating that, but I'm just suggesting that uh, it, 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 this, this is not a, a either-or proposition. Of, you know, it's just sanctions has to, has to succeed or other things. We are in the game of using covert means against the Iranians. We, we could get nastier at that. And, oh. and we expect people not to do the same to us. It's absolutely it's ludicrous, man. No, but don't worry. But don't worry. We'll just stage a false flag attack, just like what he's saying. Oh, we had to wait for this episode or this event or this. Yeah. I mean, come on, dude. Really? Hey, we had I to wait for 9-11 to take all of your, your personal liberties and freedom right here in your own country. <laughs> Meanwhile, we had we had troops stationed on the border, and we had to wait for 9-11 to happen. I'm surprised he didn't say that. If he would have said that, that would have been the coup de grace. That would have yep. been it. If he would have just said, well, I mean – we had to wait for the 9-11 event so we could go into Iraq. I don't know. The jellyfishes, though, I don't think they, they retain it two months from now. Dude, you think the jellyfishes could even find this material? And this is why I started the radio show. I mean, listen. That's terrific. I am not a conspiracy theorist. I mean, I guess I am because I don't believe everything the government tells me, and I don't believe everything the mainstream media tells me. So therefore, I'm this wild conspiracy theorist because I can think. No, no, I think that makes you very intelligent. And, and a lot of people have been taught to not think of themselves as being intelligent, whether it's through the public school system or, or dealing with your peers, because somebody is scared that you might know something that they don't, which would make them feel inferior to you. And then, and it's funny, I, I had lunch with my father the other day, and we were both kind of bantering back and forth about, you know, the state of the, the state of the country. And it's really incredible that I actually get to have these intellectual debates with my dad. You know, these are not debates, but, you know, conversations. Because we both arrived to the same point. We just have two different ways of getting there. I, for one, believe in the new world order. You know, even Ahmadinejad came out today and said, well, it's time for a new world order. I mean, I don't know how many more times, how many more leaders can come out and say, hey, we got to have a new world order. And, and people are like, that's just conspiracy stuff. <laughs> he that's said crazy. it. He said it. Bush said it. Obama said it. Um, oh, my God. A thousand. All right. So anyway, I'm getting off on a, on a tangent here. But what's amazing is that he he and I had talked about how how the there there's conditioned responses now, and that's why I love the intro mind control guys because to some extent even I'm still under mind control. Heck, I get hypnotized by the TV every once in a while. I get hypnotized by the Xbox, but then I understand that I'm going into the Matrix and I'm breaking with reality. This isn't reality. I understand that. So you know, digressing off of that, what what we both talked about. 
was that if you can, Andrew, you can speak to this too. If you can prove somebody wrong in their argument, especially when you're having like a when you're having like a debate, like is 9/11 an inside job or or and then you give them hard evidence and they in fact and then and then they say and then they say, well, what does that matter? <laughs> as soon as you disprove their point, they're like, well, what does that matter? Well, you're basing all of your intellectual conversation and your dialogue on falsities. And I give you straight facts, and then you ask me what do the facts matter? Man, you really are the freaking global agenda's dream. But we 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 were there once, though. I mean, the first time that I heard nine eleven was an inside job. I mean, I guess for me it was kind of fifty fifty because I just was raised that way to always be suspicious, trust but verify. And don't implicitly trust your government, especially. Well your, well, your dad was pretty high up in the military. He was almost military. He was, you know, he had top secret clearance, right? He just didn't have the ultra top secret, right? Exactly. He worked with with uh, the NSA, and he was in uh, NORAD when it was, you know, worth something. Obviously, now it's just nothing more than a symbol of powers of past. <laughs> mm-hmm. and, and and you know, let's talk about how you woke up to all this, and then how you kind of spread the entire paradigm across your life now, and, and you do some of the similar things that I do, and, and you try to get people, especially your friends, because those are the people that you want to engage with, that you want them to kind of come out of the coma and say, hey, 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 we're, we're, we're in a lot of trouble. We're, we're, it's not happy fun time anymore. I, it, I must have just graduated high school, Jake, and a friend of mine came by the house. I'd moved out. And I was on my own, and he brought this burnt DVD. And I had had no, I, I didn't know what Zeitgeist was at the time. But he's like, dude, this is gonna. Blow. Are you ready for your mind to get blown? And I was like, all right, I'm a free thinker. He's like, because a lot of people, it's got three parts in it: religion, 9/11, and then the Federal Reserve System. Right, and then they, so and a lot of people just shut down. At the first part, I think if they had moved the religion to the last part, maybe some people that have like deep Christian roots or just don't want to hear that there might be something else out there. They're just so sold on that story. It turns them off immediately. But I made it through the whole thing because you have to be open-minded and, and be able to take everybody's side, make your own opinion at the end. And that's really what set into motion my firm believing that 9-11 was an inside job. Absolutely. And then as, no. as I researched it more, it just was – there's so much proof that you would be a complete jellyfish to say that the government had no hand in it. Well, there, there's, and it's not necessarily the government in which the people think of the government. The people think of the government as their elected officials and and their people that go to Congress and the president and all that stuff. No, 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 no. That's not yeah. what we're talking about. I mean, we're talking about the clandestine and and all governments are like this. They have their one little hegemony in the front, and then they have the real power structure behind the scenes, which typically will make up. You know, large corporations. Um, I mean, we're all fascists to an extent. There's a lot of influence that comes in from outside donors and stuff like that. But in America, it is. I mean, we went from being a republic to now we're we we might as well be the fascist states of America. I mean, if John Corzine can steal over a billion dollars worth of people's segregated accounts, get in front of Congress and say, "I don't have my notes in front of me. I wasn't on that call." And then the head of the CDME group says. Hey, you were on that call where they told you they were going to do this, and he just basically goes and reverts back to the old 60s thing. I know nothing, and it's just absolutely retarded. So here's here's one thing that I did want to go back and circle back to this point because this is out of um, – and if you guys want to read a really fascinating book, it's, um, it's by David Rothkopf, and it's called Superclass. And this is in the preface, and it's page 25 in the preface. So I'm going to read an excerpt, and this is what this this clown, this warmonger, whoever he is, that wants us to go to war with Iran so bad. Dude, if you want to, why don't you pick you up a gun and go over there? I'm tired of this. I'm tired of you guys sending our troops over there for no good reason just because you guys want to strut around and act tough and, and show people you can march troops off the war. There are no immediate threats. So here, here's what – Here's what he says, and, and basically just to give you guys a preface of what's going on in the book, this this gentleman, Rothkop, is, is is part of the Kissinger group, which you know nobody gets into any high-ranking high you know, office unless you've been through the Kissinger Associates or whatever. So he's sitting down at a dinner, and it's like one of those you know fancy-schmancy dinners, the ones that Andrew and I will probably never be a part of because we're not part of the ruling class, you know? So – Here's what he says. The CEO leans over to the representative Schroeder and says, here's the deal. 
I want to sell a plane to Muammar Gaddafi, and he wants to buy one. But we have sanctions in place that won't let me sell him one. The U.S. wants the guy dead. So what I'm thinking is if you know, if you help me get the okay to sell him this plane, I'll build explosive bolts, connect, the, connect them to the wings of the fuselage, and then one day when he's up flying over the, over the Mediterranean, we push a button, and he's gone. I make the sale, and everybody's happy. <laughs> and that's how these guys think. This is how they think, people. They're not in there. You think that Mitt Romney's in there for you? Mitt Romney? Come on. You think that Barack Obama's in there for the people? Hey, Barack, when are those people getting their Cadillacs? When are they getting their Obama money? They ain't getting it. You just smiled and said, you're right. You getting that Obama money. Just make sure you're in that election booth and check my name. I'm going to sell you guys down the river. I didn't get my free gas. Unreal. So so let's go to a – this is the second part of the – this is we're going to go to the Paul Craig Roberts clip here really quick, and then we'll we'll hit the Ron Paul stuff, and I want you to elaborate on Ron Paul. So here's the second part of the Paul Craig Roberts interview, and he basically he's going to dive into the American foreign policy and about how it's amazing to me that that most people can look at American foreign policy and go, man, this is just this is not a good idea. Wait, we bombed countries after we put these dictators in there that are friendly to us. And then we we hire guys to go stir up trouble, and then we go remove them, and and everybody's happy. And then we leave the country in complete disarray. I don't I don't. What kind of policy is that? But you know, hey, it's it's a policy of war, and that's what we are. We're the we're the big machine of the new world order. So here you go. Uh, yes, you say, and, and what Washington has done by destroying the secular governments that sat on these uh, Islamists. Uh, forces by destroying Saddam Hussein, by practically destroying Assad, by destroying uh, Gaddafi, they've unleashed all of these uh, very virulent and extremist uh, Islamist forces that uh, are determined to uh, throw off uh, all forms of Western influence, you know. And and so how can they control it now? Uh, They can't. Uh, the, the way it was controlled was by the people we've overthrown. So we've produced the snake pit uh, for ourselves. And, um, of course, the people in Washington, no one will want to admit that somehow their policy was wrong or has or is backfired. And so they will stick with the same stupid policy just so they don't have to admit they were wrong until it destroys them. And I think that's what basically they face. So what what do you do? Um, We have the fiscal cliff. It will be evaded, just like Congress evades uh, the debt limit, (laughs) the budget resolution. They evade everything that's a real problem, and they they continue all of this pretense. So in the end, there's nothing but pretense. And so I think this is really what brings down the empire and, and saves us from the police state. It's so it's a, an empire of delusion. It's a, it's a culture and an empire of delusion. In fact, my next article is called The Culture of Delusion. And I, I think that uh, there's so many different agendas wrapped up in this, and they're all deluded. <laughs> you know, look, Alex, what public policy debate consists of anything but lies and propaganda? What political decision is ever made? Is- yeah, what is ever made that is not lies and propaganda? But hey, the sheep will eat it up, man. The jellyfish will just go around like it's plankton or whatever the heck they eat and just gobble it up. Now, I mean, what do you, what do you say? Do you think he's pretty spot on with that, Andrew, about how it's just a culture and, and, a, and a society of delusion? It makes good TV, right? <laughs> I, I guess. I mean, it's just... I think he's. I think he's got it. I mean, definitely spot on. Well, when you get down to brass tacks, it really is a culture of you know, like we said, it's it's the enamorment with being entertained. Hey guys, guess what other empire was enamored with being entertained? The Romans. They had their bread and circus. That's how they controlled the masses. You guys got to realize that history repeats itself. Doesn't matter how many damn smartphones you have or how many iPads you have. 
we're still basically human beings. And these guys have had documents and they've had they've had all kinds of catalogs and stuff to be able to study our study our habits, study what's going to make us turn on, turn off, all that good stuff. We've got years and years, hundreds of years of psychological testing to know what's going to what's going to sell and what's not going to sell and who's going to buy it and who's not going to buy it. And there's this um there's an official disorder and I think it's called um um, gosh, I can't remember. Some kind of defiance disorder that they've come up with newly over the last you know, five years in the psychological world that says that if you don't trust your government, that is a psychological disorder. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it, it, it's in a personality test, actually. There's a, there's a multiple-choice personality test about 500 uh, questions long, and uh, it'll find out exactly all of the personality flaws that are wrong with you. And I scored high. And uh, I took risks, and I defied authority, just mildly, but nonetheless, it, it was there. <laughs> I'm gonna, I'm actually gonna Google this while we're listening. MMPI, I believe, is the test. Oh, really? What was yeah. that test again for the listeners? MMPI, I believe. You'll have to Google it and tell me if I'm wrong. Okay. Well, we'll, we'll I'll do that during this clip. So let's play the Ron Paul clip where he warns warns about a new world order and and how he thought, just like most Americans thought, that you know once the, the Soviets fell, you know, and and how fascism never works and socialism, excuse me, how socialism never works, that um, that he thought it was going to be a great day for the United States when it turns out that it was it was um it was kind of more of the same. So here's the Ron Paul clip, and then um, Andrew, I want you to expand on on your Ron Paul knowledge. And and the things that you like about what he has to say, just about freedom and liberty, and and how we can really grow from his message, and and start a new um, a revolution, much like he talked about the Ron Paul revolution. And I think that that revolution needs to take the next step, and we need to start getting out because we don't have a lot of time here, people. And I'm not trying to fearmonger anybody, but if you see what's going on around you, if you guys are somewhat coherent, and you see. You know, you see people getting arrested for writing YouTube WTC7, and you're seeing people get arrested for having their children playing in a cul-de-sac while they're sitting in a lawn chair. The woman gets arrested for that. And what's amazing to me is now, you know, the NDAA somehow magically gets upheld, which is ludicrous, and now we have a lawsuit going on where they're suing the uh, the federal government over the um, the constitutionality of the NDAA and they're trying to draw it out and draw it out. I, who knows why they're trying to draw it out? I have no idea. But here's the Ron Paul clip, and then Andrew, I want you to expand on the side. <laughs> they're waiting till they round us up to go to the FEMA camps, Jake. <laughs> yeah, what are we? FEMA Region Five? What are you? FEMA Region? What? I'm, I think I'm FEMA Region Five. I'll have to try to get into five. I'll see if maybe uh, I could trade some silver or something to the guard. Maybe, maybe he'll hook me up. <laughs> All right. Here's the Ron Paul clip, and then I'll, I'll let Andrew have a couple of minutes to talk about his views on Ron Paul and, and why he why he really likes the guy so much and, and why he is he's probably the best leader that we've had in our movement in a long time, and, and he is the beacon in the distance for everybody to, to that loves liberty to really idolize and, and, and kind of work off of his ideas. Obviously, the gold standard isn't great, but hey, it's a start. It's getting us away from, from fiat currency that you can just print up out of nothing and run QE Unlimited until you guys decide. Until I mean, everything in the government now is just until we say so. You and know, that's the just, NBA, go ahead. I was just going to say, that's just one facet, too. You're talking about the gold standard. That's just one thing that he that he talks a lot of people and we'll get into it, but anyways, go on, Jake. Yeah, it's just it's amazing. Like everything's now is till we say so. You know, the NDAA is until we say the war on terror is over, we can detain you. Or, you know, the QE3 well, hope, is no. until we say so. You know, hopefully it's not like the war on drugs. We might never see the end. Uh, you know it will be. They love to prolong everything, and the war on drugs has been a ra raging success. Everybody yeah. can agree with that. <laughs> It was with great pleasure and hope that I observed the collapse of the Soviet Union between 1989 and 1991. This breakup verified the early predictions by the free market economists like Ludwig von Mises that communism would self-destruct because of the deeply flawed economic theories embedded in socialism. Our nukes were never needed because ideas are more powerful than the weapons of war. Many Americans at the time were boldly hopeful that we would benefit from a generous peace dividend. Sadly, it turned out to be a wonderful opportunity wasted. 
There was to be no beating their swords into plowshares, even though history shows that without weapons and war, there's more food and prosperity for the people. Unfortunately, our leaders decided on another course that served the special interests who benefit from constant wars and the arbitrary rearrangements of national borders for control of national resources. Instead of a peace dividend from ending the policy of mutually assured destruction, U.S. leaders opted for a foreign policy of American world domination as its sole superpower. It was all in the spirit of Woodrow Wilson's idealistic goal of making the world safe for democracy by pursuing a war to end all wars. The mantra became that American exceptionalism morally required us to spread our dominance worldwide by force. U.S. world dominance, by whatever means, became our new bipartisan foreign policy. There was to be no peace dividend, though our enemies were virtually non-existent. In many ways, America had been exceptional, but in an opposite manner from the neocon-driven foreign policy of the last 20 years. If America indeed has something good to offer, the cause of peace, prosperity, and liberty, it must be spread through persuasion and by example, not by intimidation, bribes, and war. Maintaining world domination is based on an intellectually and financially bankrupt idea that generates dependency, war, loss of civil liberties, inflation, and debt, all of which contribute to our economic crisis. Saddest of all, this policy of American domination and exceptionalism has allowed us to become an aggressor nation, supporting preemptive war, covert destabilization, foreign occupations, nation building, torture, and assassinations. This policy has generated hatred toward Americans and provides the incentive for almost all of the suicides attacks against us and our allies. To continue to believe the fiction that the militants hate us for our freedoms and wealth may even result in more attacks against us, that is, unless our national bankruptcy brings us to our knees and forces us to bring our troops home. Expanding our foreign military intervention overseas as a cure for the attacks against us tragically only guarantees even more attacks. We must someday wake up, be honest with ourselves, and reject the notion that we're spreading freedom and America's goodness around the world. We cannot justify our policy by claiming our mission is to secure American freedoms and protect our Constitution. That is not believable. This policy is doomed to fail on all fronts. The policy of mutually assured destruction has been gone now for 20 years, and that is good. The policy of American domination of the world as nation builder in chief and policeman of the world has failed and must be abandoned. If not as a moral imperative, then certainly out of economic necessity. My humble suggestion is to replace it with a policy of mutually assured respect. This requires no money and no weapons industry or other special interest demanding huge war profits or other advantages. This requires simply tolerance of others' cultures and their social and religious values and the giving up of all use of force to occupy or control other countries and their national resources. Many who disagree choose to grossly distort the basic principles shared by the world's great religions, the Golden Rule, the Ten Commandments, and the cause of peace. Religions all too often are distorted and used to justify the violence engaged in for arbitrary power. A policy of mutually assured respect would result in the U.S. treating other nations exactly as we expect others to treat us, offering friendship with all who seek it, participating in trade with all who are willing, refusing to threaten, bribe, or occupy any other nation, seeking an honest system of commodity money that no single country can manipulate for a trade advantage. Without this, Currency manipulation becomes a tool of protectionism and prompts a retaliation with tariffs and various regulations. This policy, when it persists, is dangerous and frequently leads to real wars. Mutually assured respect offers a policy of respect, trade,
friendship, and rejects threats, sanctions, and occupations. This is the only practical way to promote peace, harmony, and economic well-being to the maximum number of people in the world. Mutually assured respect may not be perfect, but far better than mutually assured destruction or unilateral American dominance. Okay, so that's a, that's a clip from Ron Paul. And um, once again, making, um, making a ton of sense, but you know that's not our foreign policy as of now. Our foreign policy as of now is exactly what he described. It's it's using covert means, much like the the warmonger said. We got to go in there covertly and and fund some jihadis to go blow some stuff up, so they give us the pretext to go in there and and mineral grab or or do whatever we have to do. Or we can do it through covert means by financially conquering people, much like um, much like they talk about in the in the book Confessions of an Economic Hitman, where he would go in and and offer governments loans from the World Bank or whomever, and basically say, "Hey, you know, here's a here's a loan for you, and the only thing that we ask for in return is if you uh, if you default on it, that you vote with us on the next UN resolution, or we're going to come and take all your resources." And so most of the time, governments will sign on because typically what happens is you get these guys at the top that are you know, dictators or, or whomever, and, and they're going to steal most of the money anyway. The population never gets it. They never see the roads or anything. So they'll just hijack the money and steal it and then use it for their own coffers. You know, this has been done over and over and over again. All you got to do is do a little bit of research on some of these on some of these oligarchs and some of these, you know, these, um, these dictators, and you'll see they all do the same thing. It's like, hey, I'm going to give you a couple billion dollars for your government. Okay, great. Where do I sign? Right here. All right, cool. So yeah, the the people can have about five hundred thousand dollars, and I'll take the one point five billion, and that's that's how it operates. So, my math was off right there. I was like, I'll take the one point nine five million, and then you guys can have the scraps. And so and so, you wonder why all these third world countries that get in get in with the World Bank and get in with the the International Monetary Fund and all these other you know huge global empires that basically just blow money out of nothing, much like our Federal Reserve does. You wonder how they get into such an impoverished shape. You're like, gosh, I just – how do countries get like this? Well, because you get a corrupt guy at the top with a couple of corrupt buddies, and then it's it's ball game over, which Muammar Gaddafi was like that to an extent. But you know, he was doing some good things also, and dictators are typically never good, but you know, you, you got to kind of pick your battles. But, but hey, we went over there and destabilized them, and now look what they got. The military's still in charge over there, and – who knows when they're going to get out? Same thing in Egypt. So, or actually, I think we gave Libya to the Muslim Brotherhood. I get them all confused all the time. Libya to the Muslim Brotherhood, and I think that's right. And then Egypt is still has the military in charge, and they're trying to do elections and stuff like that, but it's really not working. So, Andrew, if you if you could just give us a, a two two minute once over quickly on the on Ron Paul and um, and what you liked about what you read about him as a man and, and kind of getting inside of his noggin a little bit. And then I'll cover some of the the insane news that's come out over the last couple of days, and then we'll uh, we'll close out the show. All right, yeah, sounds good. Um, so the first Ron Paul book that I read was uh, the Revolution: A Manifesto, and that pretty much got it started. And uh, we went into in the Fed and a foreign policy of freedom. So it kind of plays into the video that uh, or the clip that you just played for us. There's a quote here that I want to read real quick. Uh, peace, commerce, and honest friendship with all nations, um, in, in, in being aware of foreign entanglements, and um, you know that that's terrific. If we can just build off of what Ron Paul started, and just start getting people from the grassroots level to go into politics, let's let's push let's push these lifetimers out, and let's get some young blood in there. Yeah, I agree 100%. You got to get people in there with fresh ideas, ideas of liberty, ideas of being being honest and not just trying to go in and and utilizing office like much of these politicians do. They utilize these offices for a springboard to just basically make more money and 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 further their business endeavors and stuff like that. My father and I also talked about um what I mentioned on the show the other day. It's 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 the 
It's the ignorance of the American people. And believe me, guys, I'm not calling you guys ignorant, but hey, y you probably don't even know what the Act of 1781 is, and that'll change your life if you read up on that. But you need to at least have a general understanding of foreign policy, a general understanding of finance, a general understanding of of just you know global economics and 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 I know it doesn't sound like a lot of fun but once you start getting into it it actually becomes really enthralling and you, and you start to to see the world differently instead of being you know instead of being focused on dancing with the stars or the voice or who's going to get voted off on or who's going to win iron chef or or whatever I mean whatever floats your boat if you guys haven't figured this out yet they've got every possible Every possible distraction known to man covered. And it starts from the time when you're a kid. I mean, for for me, when I was growing up, Mr. Rogers was my distraction as a kid. I used to run home every day off the bus and watch Mr. Rogers every day, and then Thundercats came on after that. So I was distracted. But once you get older, and I think it, it, a lot of Americans have um, – Andrew, see if you can kind of see where I'm going with this. Uh, I think a lot of Americans have Peter Pan syndrome. It's like they don't they they still want to they don't want to be adults. They want to be overgrown children. They still want to be able to to go to the football games and they still want to be able to to go out and have a beer with their buddies. You guys can do that, but good gosh, I mean at least do some at least contribute to society. Don't just be this like Andrew calls you a jellyfish and just kind of blop around everywhere and just wonder when your next six pack's going to come from and and who's playing on Sunday night. And then don't get all hyped up when when we're talking about going to war with Iran and you just say you want a parking lot them. You know, I had a guy that I used to work with that said that. He goes, "Oh, let's just parking lot them." I go, "Do you realize what you just said?" I'm like, "I bet you can't even tell me where Iran is on a map. It's in the Middle East. No, it's not in the Middle East. It's in Asia. But good try." So it's it's, it's just it's, it's it's amazing to me, and and I get so frustrated with dealing with people. Oh, by the way, um, Andrew. The uh, the disorder that you and I both probably have is called oppositional defiant disorder or ODD. That's the clinical term for somebody that uh, that defies compliancy with adults or or people that are perceived authority. So you and I are obviously oppositional defiant disorder, and we need to be treated with Prozac and um, more fluoride in the water so that we can be dumbed down and, and turn into you know good little slaves like the rest of the Americans and just buy the propaganda that's spewed upon us. Yeah, it's amazing. Now, so here here's a, here's a couple of articles I do want to cover, and Andrew, I want to get your take on this because you were listening to me talk about these this morning. So for everyone that doesn't believe, because I'm sure there's a lot of you out there that hear our show and they're like, what? What are these guys talking about? If you don't believe that subliminals are put into your television, if you don't believe that there are motives behind motives, that you're not just watching the New Girl season premiere, they're trying to sway social behavior through those shows. And here's a great here's a, a great article that just even encapsulates that. And this is by The Hill magazine. It's a, a Washington blog of The Hill. It says, California Exchange wants TV shows to help tout the Obamacare law. So not only are you going to get the propaganda from, from CNN and – or obviously from CNN because it's more of a leftist swing, and then you're, you're going to get that from CNN and MSNBC, but you're now going to start getting it from sitcoms. And let me see which ones that they were talking about here. Um, let's see. They were talking about Dr. Oz was in there. And I can't even find the exchange. I think it was like the, um, the, the oh, here it is. Grey's Anatomy, which is huge, by the way, for some odd reason. Uh, Modern Family and The Biggest Loser. And they've all been approached to, you know, kind of intertwine their storylines to, you know, you know, go around with Obamacare. And I'm sure Dr. Oz will, he, he might tote the establishment line, but I'm, I'm not really sure how. Because he's he's kind of spoken out about you know marijuana and stuff like that and about how it's not nearly as bad as they always make it out to be and and then he had to come with the big eraser statement at the very end of the show and say well it is illegal but even though there's nothing really wrong with all this it is illegal so you know you got to do you know what what's in the, the, <laughs> the boundaries of the law now go and, along don't ask questions yeah exactly just go along keep your head down and keep your feet moving so here's another one that I and I'll um. Remember, guys, I'll post all these on the uh, on the website, wearenotcattle.net, so you guys have some quick links to it. But here's another one. 
And this is from, um, let's see, what is this from? This is from, I guess, called The Week, and it's in personal finance. And it says, is the era of free checking accounts over? Well, of course it's over because the big banks are kind of going bust, and they need all the money that they can grab. So what's the best way to do it? Yeah, that free checking account that you used to get when you went off to college or when you graduated high school or whatever or when you put your first paycheck in there – yeah, that's all going to go away because, you know, we're losing money. So, you know, ATM fees are going to go up. We're going to start charging you minimum fees. And it's just absolutely ludicrous. It talks about how that there were 39% of checking accounts in America are free. And that's opposed to back in 2009, 76% were free. So you're starting to see a shift. And once again, I, I, I really want everybody to kind of understand this. Our currency is being moved into a very dangerous direction. And when I say that, we're following the blueprint of something like a Weimar Republic, which by the end of the Weimar Republic, the paper that they actually printed the bills and stuff on was worth more than the actual bill itself. And so that's where we're headed, but it's you can't see it in the American economy because everything's digital. Why do you think they want you to get out of paper so bad? Because they don't want you to have it. Because they want to be able to inflate the currency. Because it's it's one of those things – like I used to play online poker almost for a living. But it's one of those things that if I've got $500 in a digital account, all I see is five and a zero and a zero. That's not $500 to me. It's just numbers. But if I've got $500 in front of me and I want to bet with it, that's a completely different ballgame because now you're physically putting your money in. It's the same concept. If if you have $10,000 in the bank and the bank's like, well, we're just going to take $5 out, then you go and look in the bank and check your statement like, oh, well, they took their $5 out for you know running my account every month, which it does nothing. It's just an IOU from the bank. Your money's not actually even in there, which is ludicrous to begin with. But you know we're going to charge you five dollars to to give you an IOU basically is all it is, and so you know when you have that everybody's just going to look at it and go oh well you know that's just Andrew like you said oh it's just the way it is right yeah. so they'll just get used to it keep using your debit card and stop using cash and it's already happening right and it's and you're right it's already happening and and even more so to that you you don't what when. When you hear this establishment line that, well, we might have a double-dip recession. We never got out of the recession. Who are you guys kidding? We've had unemployment over 9% for the past – and that's with Cook numbers – for the past 18 months. But does that even include the people that are no longer getting benefits? Is that, nope. Is that included? No, okay, that's what I thought. No, nope. it's probably more like 20%, but hey, who's counting? Because here's, here's the main problem with the entire system. Well, they're getting rid of checking accounts right there. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That, well, that's a good way to do it, right? Now we don't have to pay the banks any money. Everybody will just be broke. So here's, here's part of the problem. If the American people actually had to stand in line to use their, to use their EBT card with cash that was given to the government in, a, in the form of a check or, or what have you, and they could only use it at grocery stores, you would see what looks like the soup kitchens back in the day. I mean there would be people lined up around the corner, but you don't see that now because it's all digital. So once again, go. it's part of the facade. It's part of the, it's part of the trick because if Americans can't see people lined up around the corner you know, begging to, to get you know, some soup and some bread to, to make it to their next meal. They just walk through and grab a you know a couple boxes of um a couple boxes of crackers, swipe the EBT card, and they're out the door, and you just think that person went up there and paid with a debit card. Exactly. Which, uh, you know, it's funny that you, you talked about that. It, it leads me into something about Ron Paul real quick, Jake. Uh, you know, I see a lot of people that are on assistance and they say, well, Ron Paul, you know, doesn't want to help anybody. Well, really, that's not his stand because if there's jobs, if government get out the way and there's more jobs and we don't have to worry about being unemployed and being out on a handout from somebody that's been on an unemployment paycheck, it's not something to be proud of. And you know, I look forward to getting a full-time employment, and thank God I'm employed now. Uh, but if if it's available, then it's for hey, a short time. Aren't you time. one of those evil small business owners? Aren't you one of those? <laughs> yeah, I am. Just recently started an AV company, and uh, think things are good. They're slow, but it's picking up. So I do think that there is a little bit of 
uh, a change out there in the economy, but it's because of small business, because of communities, we're spending our money locally and we're not sending it into the corporate coffers. Well, and it really gets into the, and it really gets in, and I and I, I talk to my friends at work all the time, and they tell me I should write a book, and I probably should should write a book about why globalism will fail. And basically, you cannot take all. In essence, what globalism is, everybody, what the New World Order is, is basically siloing off countries, basically putting you in a in a little in a little prison where you're going to have your little you know eight by eight room or whatever, and then you're going to have your house that's going to be you're going to be monitored on on the electricity that you use, all of this stuff. It's all Agenda Twenty One. It's all of that. So basically, what you're going to have is you're going to have it's going to be almost like Hunger Games. You're going to have different areas that are going to be responsible for different things. China's going to handle the manufacturing. The American population will probably do the service industry type of things, and then they're just going to—they're going to—they're not going to make it so each individual nation can be can be self-sufficient. They're going to make you dependent on other nations. So when another nation strikes or something like that, then every nation's going to gang up on them, and it's just never going to work. It's just not. I mean, it's great in theory. I mean, yeah, it's great in theory that we could all get together and hold hands and sing Kumbaya, but that's not going to happen because there's crazy people out there, and there's people that want to get ahead, and there's people that want to work hard, and there's people that want to be lazy, and there's people that want to kill you. And I know that that sounds really bonkers, but hey, that's just the way it is. I mean, it's a, it, we're we're a huge mixed bag of nuts all over the world. So it takes all kinds, but you have to realize that that. Ron Paul's philosophy is in that it is a philosophy to at least draw the blueprints about and and try to get some bearing. As a nation, we've lost our rudders. We've lost our rudders completely. We are so enthralled with being entertained, and we're so enthralled with what our neighbors do and what kind of car we have. None of that stuff matters. None of that stuff matters. What matters is being able to contribute in society, being able to help out your neighbor and not looking at them. Andrew, tell me or tell the audience about what you and I talked about where you said you would go out and walk your dog and, and just walk around your neighborhood and what would happen when you would wave to people in your neighborhood. And granted, Andrew lives in South Florida, so his neighbors are a little bit older than mine, so we'll just leave it at that. So tell them what you and I talked about when, when you were talking about how – you, when you and I were raised, how it was different than what it is now. And it was a shock because of their age. Um, I was raised that when you walk by somebody's house and, and you look into their yard or into their garage and you see them, you wave. You're the one that's looking into their property. It'd be caught, uh, courteous and, and give them a little wave. And um, so I'd wave to my neighbors. I wouldn't get a response, which is fine. But I'd be standing in my garage and they'd walk down the street, look at me, eyeball me, and uh, – not wave at all, and if I'd throw a wave, I wouldn't even get one in return. And, uh, and humanity. Well, that's just the detachment of society, and they've done a great job with, through all the programming and everything else to basically make us independent vessels. You know, we're not dependent on family anymore. We're not dependent on on our local community. They they've erased all of that, and that's where and that's where society starts to fall apart, and that's where you see what you see now. You start to see all of this stuff start to crumble because either either you rely on you rely on big government, which our forefathers always warned us about about having a big federal government and checks and balances and stuff like that. Now you just see everything's thrown out the window. NDAA, yeah, we can secretly arrest you. Yeah, we can kill you. You know. And Andrew, quickly, let's talk about the video. Now I'm going to post this on my YouTube channel of the guys doing the banner hang about the 9/11 was an inside job, and what the cops were saying to these guys. What were the cops saying to the guys? They were like, "Hey, you can't have that up there because it's, you know, distracting to the drivers because they're honking." What, what were they saying? Uh, asked them if they had a permit, and then uh, says, you know, that, that they're distracting the drivers with a sign. And the guy says, well, what about the digital signage on the side of the road with all the LEDs and flashing lights at me? Well, you have a bunch of motorists that are honking at your sign. It might cause them to get into an accident, and then you would be liable. So so the highway, the, the department of uh, the highway there sent the cops out to have them uh, removed. And it was it was amazing. So I'll post the video. It's absolutely awesome. Just patriots out there doing their job, exercising their First Amendment. 
and then here comes you know here comes the cops that are just you know hey I'm I'm here to make sure that you know that you're you're in slave country now boy you're you can't in have slave that first country. amendment <laughs> you got to have a permit to have a first amendment come on guys you're taking away your first amendment too don't you guys figure that out yet all right we're done with the show tonight Andrew thanks for coming on board and everybody remember there's two statements that we live by here. One, get a friend, get informed, and get involved. And number two, love liberty and love freedom, and everybody get informed. Take care, everyone. You deserve your freedom. 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 Freedom.